Well, it is so good uh, to see you this morning. If uh, you're wondering who I am, maybe we haven't had a chance to meet. My name is Joel. I, uh, I minister with the Western Ontario District of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And I have the honor and the privilege to serve in the greater Toronto area to our churches located in the GTA. And, uh, and there's approximately about 120 plus churches in the GTA. And you are one of them. And so um, it is just my privilege to be here to share the Word of God with you. Um, as you know, your church is in transition, uh, but God is present. Uh, and God has things in store for you. We aren't going to just press the pause button in transition, are we? Uh, the work of God needs to continue. In fact, I am believing that God would do something very unique in this season of transition. I've been praying for you and I've been believing for that. I've been actually believing for a resurgence of the move of God. Now, when I see the word resurgence, uh, the, the definition of resurgence is this sense of uh, after some low activity, there is a resuming of full activity. And, and what I'm meaning by that, if it's from a spiritual standpoint, may there be an uptick of the move of God in our city, in our region, in our nation, and specifically through the lives of those that call Logos their church family. Uh, 2024, our world needs Jesus, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> our city needs Jesus. Our nation needs Jesus. And the reality is, is that Jesus is that answer. But boy, am I desperate and hungry for a resurgence of the Spirit of God. A move of God like no other. Now, when I think about a move of God, I, I, I've been praying and thinking about what, what are the ingredients, uh, uh, what is the environment that God moves in? What does it look like for there to be a resurgence of the Spirit of God? Because if we don't know what that looks like, we might not know whether we're experiencing it or not. A resurgence of the Spirit of God, a move of God. Now, I wonder if one of the clues to understanding uh, what the milieu of a move of God looks like is maybe, maybe the Apostle Paul gives us a little hint when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. I, I love his heart. I, I love his posture. He says this. As he writes to the Corinthian church, he says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound overly confident. That doesn't sound like a man who's ready to, 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 to come into town with boldness. <laughs> he says, I'm actually, I've come to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but rather with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, let, we must think about this. Here's the Apostle Paul, who has definitely experienced the power of God in his life. 
He was once Saul. He was once a terrorist. He was once an enemy of the church. He was one who threatened to murder believers. He was the one who was there when Stephen was martyred. He understood the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. It revolutionized his life. But he realized he was nothing without God. And so, albeit he was one of the greatest missionaries and evangelists ever known. In fact, most of the New Testament is written by Paul. And yet, here's a man who understands that one of the ingredients to a move of God is humility. <laughs> is this sense that, that, God, I am in reverent fear of you. May my life be pleasing to you. In myself, I cannot do this. In ourselves, church, we cannot establish the kingdom of God on earth. And so Paul comes with fear and with trembling. And he says, my message is not with wise and persuasive words. Friends, our world doesn't just need an eloquent preacher. It does not need a charismatic leader. The, that is not the answer for Logos. Instead, Paul says, what we really need is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. What I want in and through my life is that there would be evidence that the Spirit of God is in me and working through me. Why is that important? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, <laughs> but rather on God's power. My prayer this morning is that you would continue to be a church that is not wowed by a preacher, <laughs> but is wowed by the Spirit of God. And friends, the Spirit of God has not left the house. <laughs> he is right here, right now, and sometimes in seasons of transition, the evil one will try to discourage us and try to, try to confuse us and try to put doubts or try to... Cause us to be lethargic. Now is the time to press in. Now is the time to lean in because the Spirit of God is ready to do something that only He can do. And so Paul says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but rather with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. My prayer for us is that our faith will not solely rest on our intelligence, will not rest on our charismatic personalities, but rather may our faith stand on the power and the demonstration of the Spirit in and through our lives. That, oh God, in 2024, may there be less of me and more of you. That as a church, there would be less of us and more of you. That we would depend and lean in on you like we've never done before. And I believe if we take heed to this posture that Paul establishes for us, I believe it can create the environment of a resurgence of the Spirit of God in and through our lives. 
And I believe when that resurgence happens, we need to look for three things. When the Spirit of God moves in and through our life, when the Spirit of God moves in our churches, there is a genuine resurgence upward to spiritual maturity. You know when someone is being moved by the Spirit, when they're growing up in Christ, when their actions and their reactions are pleasing to the Lord, when their character matches that of Jesus. A resurgence of the Spirit must include a maturing in becoming more like Jesus. Our character must resemble the character of Christ. Our actions, our reactions must be aligned to the actions and reactions of Jesus. We must walk as Jesus walked, First John says. If we claim to live in Him, we must walk as Jesus walked. Or else, as First John writes, he says we are liars. We have a form of religion, but it has not transformed our lives. And so there comes maturity. I don't believe it pleases the Lord if we shout and cry and dance, and then we leave this place and mistreat our neighbors or our co-workers or cheat on our taxes. It doesn't work that way. When there's a true resurgence of the Spirit, there is an alignment in character to the character of Christ. The only way that's going to happen is if the Word of God becomes central in our life. How do we know how Jesus walked if we've never read the Gospel? We must remember, as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He also goes on to say in Ephesians, Paul does, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. You see that? We will grow. My prayer is that Joel would not be the same Joel at the end of 2024 than he was when he started 2024. That there would be more alignment, even greater intimacy with Jesus and holiness and purity in my life than the way I started the year so that I can become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. You see, before we... We get into all the gifts of the Spirit, which sometimes when we think about the move of God, we rightfully so speak about prophecy and, and speaking in tongues and interpretation and words of knowledge and wisdom and healing and all of those things. And we'll get to that in a moment. However, we must not forget Galatians 5 that says, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, it's kindness, 
It's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the fruit of a person who is being moved by the Spirit is seen in the fruit of the Spirit. Now notice, it's fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit. You see, sometimes we say, you know, I've got, I've got love, I've got joy, but that kindness and goodness stuff, I'm not into that. You, you can't have, you can't, it's not like spiritual gifts. I've got the gift of this and that, but I don't have that gift. It doesn't work that way with the fruit of the Spirit. You either have it or you don't. See, the Holy Spirit is committed to the process of shaping our lives in the image of Christ. That is of paramount concern to Jesus. He doesn't just want to sanitize your life. He wants to transform your life. He is passionate about this. That if we are truly being experiencing a resurgence of the Spirit, we will be moved upward into maturity. We will be moved upward in becoming more like Christ. I want to give you an example of why Jesus is so passionate about this. There's a passage in Mark 11. If you have your Bibles, you've got to go there because this passage is so critical to what I'm saying this morning. The context of this passage in Mark 11 is Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and the people of God are celebrating. The king is here. Jesus is coming. Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is him who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of the father David. Hosanna to the highest of heaven. And it says in verse 11 that Jesus, amidst all of this celebration, entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. It's one of the very first things he does. He goes into the temple courts. And then listen to what it says. It says he looked around at everything. He looked at everything in the temple courts. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now I could just imagine... Jesus is walking into the city. The people are celebrating. It's gotten late into the evening, and so he wants to go to the temple. He wants to see everything that's going on there. And so we can envision Jesus walking through the temple courts, and he's noticing there's some desks set up, and, and there's uh, live animals that are going to be sacrificed, and, and, and all of these things. And, and because it's late, he says, okay, let's go, guys. Let, let's get some rest And notice what happens the very next day. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Now can you say that? Jesus was hungry. You see, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. That meant there was times where he got hungry, just like you and I would. Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. I want you to underline that. He found nothing but leaves on this fig tree that was full of foliage, full of leaves, but no figs. Well, then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat 
fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. He finally reached Jerusalem and Jesus entered the temple courts. I want you to just remember the fig tree situation, okay? He finally gets to the house of God into the temple courts and he begins driving out those who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise throughout the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you, you have made it a den of robbers. Wow. You don't see Jesus losing his cool very often when you read the gospel. But this day he loses his cool. He is not happy. He's literally turning the temple courts upside down. He's turning tables. He's creating chaos. So we must ask ourselves, why is Jesus so upset? Why is he so upset? I want to give some context to what's going on here. People will have, uh, would have traveled a long distance. It was that time of year where the people would come into Jerusalem and worship the, the Lord at the temple courts. And so people were coming from all different regions. Many of them would have traveled many, many miles to be there. And most of them would have walked there. Only the rich perhaps would have had a donkey to sit on to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at the temple. Now in light of the distance that many had traveled, they would have come from different regions with different currencies. And so the people, the leaders of the day, the religious leaders of the day, thought to themselves, let's make this as convenient as possible. Let's have a currency exchange booth in the temple courts. So that as people come with their currency, they don't have to worry. They can come and exchange their currency. And you know what? We'll kind of take advantage of that and slap on a massive surcharge so we can actually make money off of them. You might say, well, why do they even need to exchange currency? Well, because on the other side of the temple courts were all the live animals. And they needed to purchase a live animal in order to sacrifice that animal for the forgiveness of their sins. And so the religious leaders of the day thought to themselves, we'll have an exchange booth over here where they can conveniently exchange their currency. And of course, we'll slap on a surcharge. Then they'll walk across the temple courts on the other side and we'll have all the live sacrifices and they'll use their money. And by the way, we're going to charge, no pun intended, an arm and a leg for those animals. Because we'll make a little bit more money on that end, and then they can come take their sacrifice and worship the Lord. Wow. Sounds smart. Sounds convenient. But God wasn't having any of it. Why? You see, the people had reduced faith in God to a commercial transaction. A business deal rather than a personally transformed life in Christ Jesus was offended by the idea that a relationship with God was merely an exchange 
I sacrificed this God and you better do that for me. I've traveled all this way. I've even exchanged my money. I've even bought a sacrifice. I've done all this. I've done all my religious act. Now make sure I get that job. Make sure I get my healing. Make sure this and make sure that. Okay, deal? No deal. I wonder if the fig tree on the way into the temple courts helps us understand what happened in the temple court. See, there's this fig tree. It's full of foliage. It's in leaf. Now, it was a very unique fig tree because it was not in season. But for whatever reason, this fig tree was fully in leaf. And so when a fig tree is full of foliage like that, the assumption is that there's figs there. And so Jesus, being hungry, goes to the fig tree and looks into the foliage and finds no fruit. Nothing but leaves. You see, this fig tree had all um, the potential to satisfy Jesus. It looked the part of a fruitful tree, but in, in reality, it was nothing but leaves. Here's the application. There was a whole lot of activity in the temple courts. There was a whole lot of, of merchandise going back and forth. There was a lot of animal sacrifices even. There was a lot of people merging into the temple courts. There was a whole lot of action. There was a whole lot of potential there. There was a whole lot of foliage. There was a whole lot of leaves, but no transformation. But no fruit to satisfy Jesus who was hungry. Application to us today. We could do a lot of religious things. You can attend everything in January that Pastor Julio outlined. And there could be a whole lot of foliage, and I encourage you to do that. But at the end of the day, is there fruit in your life? Is there a resemblance of Jesus that comes through your actions and your reactions? Or are we just leaves? I don't know about you, but when Jesus comes under my fig tree, I don't want him to just find foliage. I don't just want him to find leaves. I want him to find figs. I want him to be satisfied with the life that Joel is living on this side of heaven. See, nothing but leaves stands out as a surprisingly emphatic way of saying no fruit. Once the leaves are fully developed, it's time to look for the early fruit which can be picked from about the middle of May onward. And this single fig tree apparently stood out as having an unusual full coverage of leaves for Passover season, which encouraged the hope of early fruit it offered so much promise without any fulfillment. I wonder if, if this instant is, is a fulfillment of Micah 7, 1 and 2, where Micah wrote, I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. 
My Lord, I pray that at Logos, Christian Family Church, that there would be a whole lot of fruit in the house. <laughs> we don't just want leaves. We don't just want to look the part. <laughs> we want to bear the fruit that satisfies our Jesus. See, the religious leaders of Jesus' day struggled with a nothing-but-leaves kind of faith. It was Billy Sunday who said it this way, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. There was once a missionary who said to himself and his family, I'm called by God. God's going to use me to change the world. And so off he went to change the world. And only weeks later he realized he couldn't change the world. He wasn't changing the world. So he came and he was discouraged. And he said, okay, God, I can't change the world, but, but God, I'm going to change my nation. And off he went. Tried to change his country, change his nation. A few weeks later he was discouraged. He didn't do that either. He said, okay, God, I, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, I'm going to change my city. I'm just going to change my city. And off he went to try to change his city. And it didn't take long for him to come back discouraged. He says, God, I can't change my city. He says, but I'm not giving up. He says, I'm going to, God, I, I, use me to change my family. And off he went to change his family. And husbands, you know, this doesn't work. He came back and realized, I can't change my family. And he was discouraged. He says, God, I don't know what else to do. And the Lord said to him, my brother, I want to change you first. <laughs> I, I want to transform you from the inside out. And then perhaps I will use you to change your family, your city, your nation, and your world. Friends, if we're going to see a resurgence of the Spirit of God, it starts right here. <laughs> it starts right there. It starts with the transformation of our lives. It starts with our character being aligned with the character of God. It starts with there being some figs on the tree. The fruit of the Spirit. Secondly, I think if we're looking for what a resurgence of the Spirit, what a move of God looks like, not only are we moved upward to spiritual maturity, but I believe we will be moved inward to build the church. When there is a move of God, there is a strong appetite to build the body of Christ up and not tear it down. If you are being moved by the Spirit, not only will you be moved upward in, in spiritual maturity and becoming more like Jesus, but you will be compelled to want to contribute and do whatever you can to build the body of Christ. And the cool thing is, is the Scriptures tell us that God gives every believer at least one spiritual gift. Some have multiple gifts. Those gifts are not earned. They're not kind of used to put on a badge on your shoulder and say, look at me, I must be really spiritual. 
They are given by God's grace. They're not deserved. They're not earned. They're given. And when he gives us those spiritual gifts, it is our duty to steward those gifts gifts, and use them to build and edify the church. There are people that are spiritual bullies that put themselves up on a pedestal and say, I am, I've got what you guys don't have. Be very careful. Because the point of building the church is that we need each other. Every part matters. We are not independent of each other. We are meant to be in accountability. We are meant to work together with our gifts, our talents, our abilities and experiences. And sometimes what I see is someone has one gift and they start a whole isolated ministry just based on one gift when it's supposed to be part of the whole. According to the scriptures. We need each other like never before. The gifts of the Spirit are not given to build our own kingdoms or our own ministries, but rather they are to work alongside other members of the body to advance the Lord's kingdom. Members of the body with their gifts are meant to work in partnership with other parts of the body and the gifts that the Lord has granted to them. We are not meant to deploy our gifts in isolation. You see, the church in Corinth struggled with this whole managing of the gifts of the Spirit, which is why Paul actually writes them a couple of letters about this. He says, hold up, I need to teach you about the gifts of the Spirit. And the Corinthian church struggled with two things when it came to the deployment of the gifts of the Spirit. One of the the attitudes and mindsets they had was superiority. Some struggled with the mindset of superiority. What does the mindset of superiority sound like? It sounds like this. My gift is more important than other gifts. This mindset that says what we really need is what I have to offer. Not everything else. Because I have the gift of prophecy, that needs to be primary. Not secondary to things like gifts of administration and gifts of helps and gifts of encouragement. It's an attitude of superiority. And so this started to seep into the church of Corinth. And so Paul writes to them and he says this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You see, when we have this attitude of superiority, it is not pleasing to the Lord. It does not build the body of Christ. It does not edify the body of Christ. We are meant to be part of something together. There are two things you can't do alone. You can't be married alone. And you can't be a Christian alone. You are meant to be part of the body of Christ. And you have a part to play in that body. Along with other brothers and sisters in the house. Who have other things that you don't have. The other attitude that the Corinthian church struggled with is the opposite of superiority. Some struggled with inferiority. What does inferiority sound like? 
My gift isn't important, so I might as well just be a spectator. You see, some of us have bought into this idea that because I don't have the gift, you know, I don't sing like these amazing people. I don't preach. I don't, I don't do any of these public ministries. So I don't really have a part to play. I'm just going to sit tight in the back and, and just spectate. Paul would say this to you. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand... I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Did you get that? If you're here and you're saying, I don't have those gifts, I don't have, that. I, I, I don't have a part to play, I'm just going to watch the professionals do their thing. Paul would say to you, only because you've made that conclusion does not make you not part of the body. In essence, what he's saying is the body of Christ is not fulfilling its full potential because you have chosen to be on the sidelines rather than in the game. By you not serving in the areas that God has gifted you in, you are withholding that body from reaching its full potential because you do not all of a sudden just not be part of the body. You are part of the body. It's just that that part of the body isn't functioning because you've chosen the attitude of inferiority. May I encourage you? And maybe the reason why you've been spectating is because somebody told you you don't have anything to offer or somebody discouraged you about something. I want you to know that you are here for a reason that God has given you gifts, abilities, and experiences, and talents to use for the glory of God. And as long as there is breath in your lungs and that heart is beating, you have a purpose and God has a plan over your life. And that plan is not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Logos needs you. Our body of Christ needs you. Our city needs you. Find your place in the body of Christ and serve wholeheartedly. For the glory of God. So if, we're, if, we, if we want to really get serious about seeing a resurgence of the Spirit of God, a move of God, you are going to be moved inward. You're going to be like, Lord, whatever you want me to do, you want me to come early to pray? I'm there. You want me to open those doors for people when they come in with a smile? I'm there. You want me to prepare the emblems on Sunday once a month? I'm there. You want me to worship? You want to use my gifts of music or vocal? Lord, I'll do the practice. I'll come early. I'll do whatever it takes. Find your spot and do it faithfully unto the Lord. Because that's what a move of the Spirit looks like. It builds up and edifies the body of Christ. It does not tear down. Now we all know that the body of Christ is not perfect. Oh, don't we? Sometimes we turn on ourselves. Sometimes we, we hurt each other, don't we? We offend each other. We don't fulfill our expectations. We say things out of the flesh rather than the spirit. And we got to learn to live together and we got to learn to forgive and we got to learn to extend grace and we got to learn to watch our words and all of those things. 
Be careful not to tear down the body of Christ. Think about that. You see, when we tear down a brother or sister, when we speak ill of them, in fact, I want you to imagine that person that, that you find difficult to love, <laughs> that sometimes rubs you the wrong way, or maybe that person who has wounded you, and you've pushed them to the sidelines of your life because of it. Perhaps if you're honest, maybe you've held some resentment, some bitterness towards them. We're all not exempt from that happening in any of our lives, are we? And imagine if I took a picture of that person and I put that person on the wall and then I gave you some darts. And I said, this is how you release your anger. Here's some darts. There's the picture. I want you to go to town and throw the darts. And you begin to throw those darts with much passion. And you've thrown so many darts at that picture that that picture is unrecognizable anymore. It's all ripped up, shredded. And then I walk in and I take that picture off the wall. And what we would find behind that image of that brother or sister is an image of Jesus. See, what Jesus said, whatever you do unto these, you do unto me. So when we tear each other, when we slander, when we gossip, when we hold resentment and bitterness, we, we sometimes forget that as we do that to another brother and sister, we're actually hurting the body of Christ. <laughs> Jesus himself. That person is created in the image of God. One of God's masterpieces, sure, they may have done something that was inappropriate, something that was hurtful. Haven't we all? Don't we all need the grace of Jesus in our life? If it wasn't for the grace of Jesus, where would we be? When there's a genuine move of God, a resurgence of the Spirit of God, there is a people who love the body of Jesus. They love the body of Christ. They love the church. They will do anything for it because they've realized it is that, the body of Jesus. And they will protect her. They will serve her. They will be generous towards her. They will protect her. Listen, listen. Love covers over a multitude of sins. If love is one of the fruit of the Spirit, when a brother or sister fails, our job is not to expose them, but our job is to protect them. Instead of starting to salivate and say, ah, this is my moment, to embarrass them, to shame them, instead the right spirit movement is to protect them. Oh, now we're talking about a move of the Spirit. When people forgive amidst painful experiences. When people repay evil with good. Oh, friends, we do that. Our lives, our cities, our nation, our world will change. Finally, I believe that a resurgence of the Spirit will not only cause us to move upward in spiritual maturity and becoming more like Christ, not only will it move us inward, in, in building the church together, 
but it will also ultimately move us outward to a lost world. When the Spirit of God is moving, you and I will be compelled into our communities, in our workplaces, in our apartments, in our schools to share the message of Jesus because the lost need to be found. God is not interested in a little religious party here. He's not interested in a religious club that's only for members only. We exist for a world that's dying and going to hell. That is why you exist. God will compel you to move outward to a lost world. I mean, when you look at the book of Acts, people are being moved by the Spirit and are involved in acts or actions. That's the whole point to the book. The acts of the apostles. Their actions, in light of the Spirit of God, it moved them outward. There is an element of being moved in the Spirit where there is literally movement, a resurgence of activity. Let me give you some biblical examples of this. Peter, upon Pentecost, what happened? He was moved by the Spirit of God to preach a sermon, empowered and anointed by the Spirit of God, and over 3,000 people came to know Christ that day. This is the man who denied Jesus three times over. Something happened in this man's life. He was baptized by the Spirit of God. He was immersed by the Spirit of God. He couldn't help himself but to share the gospel with a world that was hurting and dying. How about in Acts chapter 3? Peter and John are moved by the Spirit. They're going into the house of God and they see a, a beggar by the side of the street. What do they say to him? Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. See, these men were compelled to reach this lame beggar by allowing the Holy Spirit to use them to heal him. How about in Acts chapter 8, Philip was moved by the Spirit to come alongside a spiritual seeker, an Ethiopian eunuch. I love this chapter. And I love how specific the Spirit of God works. It says in Acts 8, 26, And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, Isn't that amazing? The Spirit of God speaks specifically. Joel, you need to go here and you need to go there because somebody needs to hear what you have. And so Philip goes. He goes down the road, down that road from Jerusalem to Gaza, and he finds this Ethiopian eunuch, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He happens to be in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. Friends, that's a divine appointment. That's what I call that. Do you know what you're reading? And he says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and he sat with him. 
You see, even Philip was moved by the Spirit to this Ethiopian eunuch who needed Jesus. How about Ananias in the very next chapter in Acts 9? Ananias is called by the Lord. The Lord says to Ananias in verse 11 of chapter 9 in Acts, He says, Go to the house of Judas. On what street? Straight street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying there. Again, very specific instruction. These men and women of the Lord, empowered by the Spirit of God, were compelled outward to a lost world. And when the Spirit of God called them, they were obedient to follow. And so, of course, he goes. Now, when he heard it was Saul, that wasn't very encouraging. This was a terrorist. God, you're asking me to go talk to our enemy. Yes, I am, Ananias. And then Ananias went, in verse 17, to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. You see, before there was ever an Apostle Paul, there was an Ananias who was willing to be compelled by the Spirit of God to go down a straight street to talk to a man named Saul. Friend, if we want a resurgence of the Spirit, what that's going to look like is you will be moved to your neighbors. You will be moved to make a difference in your co-workers' lives. You will be called to make a difference to that clerk at the grocery store that always checks you out. You will be called to be a blessing to that waitress at lunch today. And what I have discovered is many times these opportunities seem like interruptions. God, I got things to do. My iPhone is filled with appointments. And God interrupts my life all the time. And usually it's on my journey to a place of ministry that God interrupts me. And says, Joel, are you willing to stop and interrupt your schedule for my sake? Most of the time it's not at a convenient time. And that's the point. God wants to see if he can be an inconvenience in your life. <laughs> and I have found that some of the most meaningful moments of ministry have actually happened on the way to ministry. When he interrupts me. The question is, are we willing to be interrupted? Are we willing to go down straight street? Detour the GPS as the Spirit enables us and leads us. We must remember that Acts 1.8, I will clothe you with power so that you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth. The point is harvest. The harvest is ripe, friends, in Mississauga. The harvest is ripe. Another translation says it's urgent, it's white, it's ready to be picked. 
The reason why it's a white harvest, what that means is that if somebody doesn't harvest it, it's in its last portion of harvest. And if it falls to the ground, it will be lost. It'll be too late. Now is the time, Logos. Not in five months, not in a year. Now is the time of harvest. And Jesus said, it's not a harvest problem, it's a labor problem. It's not that the harvest isn't ripe, it's that the laborers are few. Do you know why the laborers are few? Because it involves labor. It involves our time. It involves our resources. It involves our willingness to be interrupted for the sake of the gospel. I really believe that God desires you to experience a move of God. And I believe that as the Apostle Paul came with fear and trembling, as we humble ourselves and realize I'm not the answer, but Jesus is, that our lives would show a demonstration of the Spirit's power by the fact that our lives are resembling Jesus, that we're using our gifts to build the body, and we're being compelled outward to a lost world, I believe that movement of the Spirit will be unstoppable. The gates of hell shall not prevail, and His church will be built. I conclude with this, Pastor Josh team, would you come, and as you come, you can start playing right away. I want you to listen to this. It's a perfect uh, example in my own life. It was a few years ago, I went to China to do some ministry there and worked with the underground church in China and then did some ministry in Hong Kong and Macau and I was um, it was a 30-day trip and I was absolutely exhausted at the end of this trip I think I had preached over 60 times and I had one day at the end of it all to just explore the city of Hong Kong it was my rest day And so I was looking forward to this rest day. And so I remember walking down to the waterfront and enjoying the sights, enjoying the food, enjoying and taking in the city of Hong Kong after an amazing trip of ministry and leaving full and having ministered with these persecuted believers was just something that was life-changing for me. As I sat there on the steps of the waterfront in Hong Kong, I felt the Spirit of God speak to me. And he said, you see that young man sitting about a hundred yards from you on the steps? I want you to go speak to him. I got to be honest. My first initial response was, God, give me a break. I'm tired. I've done 30 days of this. 60 sermons. I just want to rest. (laughs) It wouldn't go away. See, the Holy Spirit is persistent, isn't he? Thanks be to God that he's very gracious as well. (laughs) So finally, I thought to myself, I was thinking of every excuse not to do this. I thought, you know, he doesn't probably speak English. What's the point? What do I even say? And I was wrestling with God. Finally, I couldn't hold it back anymore. And so I began my walk towards this young man. 
as I got closer to him, fear got the best of me and I sat three steps behind him instead. And I'm wrestling through this. I'm just being honest with you. I don't know if you've ever experienced this when God calls you to do something or say something. Sometimes we could wrestle with the Lord. Is this right? Should I do it? Am I going to look foolish? And then the Lord said, start with this. And he showed me a cross on the other side of the waterfront. And he says, ask him what that is. <laughs> so I finally get right close to this young man. And as I sat beside him, I didn't realize it, but he was reading something. And the moment I sat beside him, he shut it and put it in his pocket. Almost as though he didn't want me to see what he was reading. And I introduced myself. And what do you know? He spoke excellent English. And I said to him, what, what is that building with the cross there? And he says, and he looked at me, it's a church. <laughs> this is not earth shattering. And I said, well, do you go to church? And he said, no. No, I'm an atheist. I don't even believe there is a God. I said, oh. His name was Alex. And he obviously recognized I wasn't a local, and so he asked where I was from, and I shared my story, and I told him why I was there, and he was shocked to hear why I was there. And as I was sharing the gospel with him, Alex began to weep on the steps of that Hong Kong waterfront. And he said, you don't understand what just happened. And I said, what? And he went back into his pocket and pulled out what he was reading. And it was a track that was clearly explaining to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. That a friend of his, who was a Christian, had given to him just a few days earlier. And he was reading this and he said to me in his words, I was literally saying, God, if this is real, you're going to have to really reveal yourself to me. <laughs> and pop comes this Canadian man out of nowhere to tell me about Jesus. And in that day, I led Alex to Jesus on the steps of the waterfront. I say that story not to say, look at me, because I was almost a reluctant person in this. I say it because Jesus chases after lost people, because he loves them. And he gives you and I the privilege to be part of those life-transforming moments. It doesn't get better than that, does it? No money in the world, no bank account in the world, no RSP contribution in the world compares to somebody coming into the kingdom of God. And to think that God wants to use us for that sacred moment in someone's life. 2024. May there be a resurgence of the Spirit of God in your life. May there be a resurgence of the Spirit of God in Logos Church. Where the people of God have grabbed hold of this thing and said, God, we want to be 
aligned to your character. We want to be moved upward in becoming more like you. We want the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, we don't just want leaves. We want our lives to feed your hunger. We want our lives to satisfy you. That when you come under our tree, you eat because there's fruit. My prayer is that you would be moved inward to build and edify the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We don't tear her down. We don't slander her. We don't dismiss her. We don't speak ill of her. But we serve her. We love her. We protect her. We're generous towards her. We do whatever it takes. we would be a people that are also moved outward to a lost world. That would be moments where we cross the street of our neighbors and we shovel their snow just because. Or we hear they're sick and we bring them a bowl of soup. Or we stop at a Tim Hortons line to speak to the person beside us instead of just staring at our phones and not talk to everybody or anybody we take the TTC not just to get from point A to point B but perhaps the person who's sitting beside us is another Alex who needs to hear the message of Jesus friends 2024 has got to be different God cares about your families God cares about your children Some of you are heartbroken because your children are far from Christ. Can we believe together that in 2024 that we would see prodigal sons and daughters come back to Jesus? Would you stand with me for a moment? I wasn't planning on doing this, but I just feel compelled. Pastor Joshua, you're going to lead us in a worship song. But it's the first Sunday of the year. It's a new season. And as I was praying about this morning, I just really, really felt that God wants to begin something in this church that you would have never thought or imagined. And it won't be because of a man or a person or a charismatic leader, but because of the Spirit of God. And so I just felt compelled that we would find a spot in the front just for a few moments It's not even 12 yet. Maybe you've come with your spouse or maybe you've come with some friends or maybe you've come on your own. I want you to come forward and find a spot. Can we dedicate 2024 to the Lord together as a church? Are you open? Is this okay? You're comfortable with this, right? Okay, would you come? Would you come and begin to seek the Lord for 20? Begin to seek for a move of God like never before. Oh God, I pray that you would fill this house with the Spirit of God. Lord Jesus, that this house would be a fig tree that is full of figs. That it would not be nothing but leaves, but it would be a place where lives are transformed. So as the worship team leads us, you begin to press into the Lord and come right on up, right to the front so others can come behind you. Even down the aisles, that's okay.